You're listening to the Community Church in Orange podcast. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Beautiful, wasn't it? I told my wife, I should have done that at the altar call. You know what? Thank you, all of you that did your testimonies. It takes a lot to stand up here and to present to a world failures. You know what? Every person in this room has been a failure at some point in their life. Truth is, I'm unworthy to stand here today. The only thing that made me worthy was the blood that was shed on that cross for me. Amen. I may be white on the outside, but I'm not always clean on the inside. Only Jesus could do it. Amen. Uh, Morris came up to me at this, at, out in the foyer and he said, Pastor, I love your get up. I said, it's, it's my get up and go. Woo! Hallelujah. So those of you that are new, you're just going to have to put up with me. I'm, I'm a little strange, but I love Jesus. Amen. Amen. Again, let me welcome you here. I'm so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Jesus. My prayer is that his word would be impactful in your life today. Because if nothing else, that you walk out of this house free and delivered and clean and in right relationship and standing with Jesus. As we see a world that's around us today that's shaking, that consistently it seems like it gets exponential day by day. The difficulties that we are facing and you see in the news, the, all the, the difficult things that are going on, the division, the fights, the arguments, the world that we live in, facing such turmoil and turbulence. In the midst of all that, Jesus can speak, peace, be still. And he'll cause you to walk above the wind and the waves. Though we live in a turbulent time, you don't have to live turbulent inside today. Amen. You can live free. You can have peace. You can have joy. All it takes is you surrendering completely your life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. This morning, I'm going to share a word with you. It's entitled Overcome. You know, when we talk about the word overcome, and uh, as we were preparing for this service I just sense the Spirit of the Lord. I always try to develop a theme for each year and what kind of I feel the direction from the Lord is. And I just thought how incredibly beautiful would be this word to overcome. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Today, Lord Jesus, we come and we celebrate the reality of your resurrection. Lord, you said in your word that if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead quicken your mortal bodies today, we just thank you today for the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is here in this place today, raising dead lives to new life. We thank you for it. And we thank you today, Father, for the anointing and the power of your word that sets men and women free. For the anointing and the power of your word, God, that brings transformation. Jesus, as you said in your word, without you, we can do nothing. Our lives would be fruitless. But Lord, if we surrender and walk in you, fruitfulness comes. And so today, Lord, I thank you for the fruitfulness of your word in the lives of every person. Let the seed of your word find place in good ground, in good soil. Let every heart be open and every eye and ear open and, and available to hear what you say today. We bind every principality and everything that would rise against the knowledge of Jesus in this house. Thank you for the liberty of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To overcome. I believe, first of all, that God 
calls us to be overcomers. And they overcame. 1 John 5, 4 says, Whatever is born of God comes, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe with everything in me today that God's will is that you live a life that is overcoming. The truth is, you're either overcoming or you're being overcome. The word to overcome means to conquer, to overcome, to prevail. It literally means to get the victory. It would be nice today that if, if, if somebody would in, in, in our lives could just instantly grant us all a million dollars, although we're kind of seeing in our day and age a million dollars doesn't necessarily connotate as much as it did back in the day. But if somebody were to walk through the door, knock on your door, and in my day it was Ed McMahon, some of you older people know exactly who that is, showed up at your house with this big monstrous check and, and knocked on the door, people would begin to scream and shout because they knew that they had won the publisher clearinghouse lottery or whatever, the prize. So if you could imagine today if somebody were to come to your house and knock on the door and hand you a large sum of cash, there would be victory, there would be excitement. You could pay off your house, pay off some bills, maybe enjoy a little more freedom in life. Well, here is the truth today. Jesus has won the greatest victory for you, and you do not have to live in a life that's overcome. God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for your life is that you become an overcomer, that you live a life of victory, that you live a life that prevails. But for so many, instead of being an overcomer, they are overcome. They are overcome by the difficulties of life. They are overcome by the diagnosis of the doctor. They are overcome by circumstances surrounding the relationships. They are overcome by the situations just in general of their life. But I will tell you today, regardless of the situations of the life that you are experiencing today or diagnosis from doctors or circumstance financially, I can tell you this without a shadow of doubt, you can take it to the bank that you can walk as an overcomer in the midst of a world of difficulty. I, I think so many times, and as Stephen is preparing to go to Slovakia, I think is the country actually they'll be working in, maybe Romania. I just know it's one of the Baltic states that they're going to be doing. And, and I just think so much about how many times that we get caught up in our problems. And then I think about people that are in Ukraine who have been displaced. And not only displaced, it's not, not like it is here. And my wife and I, when we moved here just two years ago, in 2020 and we were elected the day before COVID and then the next day they closed the church for COVID it was an exciting exciting time let me tell you and when we moved here my wife was worried about hurricanes and I told her don't worry about hurricanes because I'm a prophet there's already been hurricanes have hit this place you don't have to worry about it and just a few months later we went through two hurricanes I'd never in my life been displaced because of a of a, of a disaster or any scenario and all I know is I heard on Monday morning mandatory evacuation and something set off in me you got to get out now and I learned my lesson I'm waiting until that storm hits before I leave next time four days of waiting and watching that storm <laughs> so I can't imagine that situation for people in Ukraine today that are not only displaced but if you see their homes and you see their buildings are absolutely cities completely demolished not only are they displaced from their homes but they have no homes to go to completely devastated completely gone 
So I think in terms about how difficult my problems are, and they're so minuscule in comparison to the problems and the scenarios that so many people around the world today. But I will tell you this, my problems are real. Your problems are real. There are difficulties that every one of us are facing. But today, Jesus wants you to live a life that you're not bound by oppression or depression and fear and anxiety and worry. You can walk in a place of absolute peace. Why? Not because you are powerful or you are strong or you've got it all figured out. No, he's the one that ultimately has already done it all for you and me. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? For some, the idea of getting better, as I've gotten a little bit older, I I keep thinking about I need to go work out. I need to to go and exercise. Matter of fact, the place that's just around the corner from my house, they they actually, as a pastor, they're telling me I can go for free, so I have no excuse, folks. And I see these muscled up guys and I think man I sure would like to be that and I recognize and realize that behind that is somebody that has really endeavored to get to that place we can sit and talk about victory we can sit and talk about change in our life but for some the idea of overcoming and life getting better is tomorrow or or the next day let me tell you overcoming is not a future event It's not some future event that's going to happen in some day when you finally get it all figured out or maybe you get that better job that pays you a little bit more money. No, when you get a little bit more money, you're going to buy some more stuff and you've got more stuff to take care of and more problems. Amen. Come on. So overcoming is not some future event. Overcoming is a present reality for the believer because he says whoever is born of God overcomes the world. So overcoming the world means that when I come into a relationship with Jesus, I have connected to myself to something that's far greater, far powerful than myself alone. I think so many times about my life as a child and growing up in a small West Texas town, living uh, under the, the abusive situation of an alcoholic father and, and all the scenarios of poverty and the things that surrounded my life that I, I grew up with. And then at 20 years old, coming into relationship with Jesus, being set free from the power of alcohol and drugs and the party scene, Jesus stepped into my life. And it wasn't a religious decision of joining a church. No, I came into a kingdom and a kingdom that's already overcome. I came into a life that was transformative. I came into to a relationship that brought me from a place to where I was. I was a child of my earthly father, but when I was saved and born again, I gained the DNA and the nature of an overcoming king that is already resurrected in power. That same Jesus that came out of that tomb is the same Jesus that lives and abides in me today. So I have no excuse. When I came into relationship with him, I have already overcome the world. Hallelujah. So no matter where you are, no matter what you're experiencing, God's will and God's call to you is that you live a life that's overcoming. You see, overcoming produces life. Revelations 2.7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, 
which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This tree of life was representative of the eternal life of God. Now, the Bible tells me that that the enemy, Satan, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You see, for some, the idea of life is things. Um, as, As we go through the experiences of life, it's always enjoyable to buy things. Amen? I went, we went to the mall yesterday. We went and just shopping, which is just an enjoyable event. Amen? And uh, I actually told Leslie, if we were walking through, I don't know which mall it is, whatever down in Port Arthur, whatever that mall is, big mall down there. And, and it was just almost completely empty. And I noticed when I was in JCPenney's, they had big signs that said, shopping is back. You know, that's what every man wants to hear. Amen. <laughs> now, if it was at Home Depot or Lowe's, we could amen that one. Come on, guys. Give me a yeah. <laughs> shopping is back. And as I was looking, I was like, it don't look like shopping's back yet. And I told Leslie, you know, it, actually, I, I think about in terms of in the past and how that, you know, it was you go to the mall and it would just be packed with life and Kids eating corn dogs and cookies and, and running around and, and hanging out and, and shopping and doing all the things that would kind of, you know, kill a few hours of time and take your credit card. And you see our society that is changing where now it's moved to where it's so convenient and easy just to get on your phone and literally order anything you want. Isn't that awesome? Amen. It is. It's really great. So now you don't have to go to the mall and go shopping. So our society in the past was so focused upon things and the idea of life. Now, nobody really necessarily phrased it this way, but life for many was in the abundance of things that they could get. I can remember when I first began working in the construction industry and I was doing remodeling and I I remember buying my first tool. The first tool that I bought was a reciprocating saw because I had worked in uh, apartment maintenance and I recognized and realized, of course, this was back in 1993, you know, way back there when just about Jesus time. And, And I bought that reciprocating saw because I recognized it was such a versatile tool and all of a sudden something turned on in me. It it was, it was like this man. I want some more tools. And so then I went and bought a circular saw and I, I bought a drill. Come on, ladies. It's kind of like a dress or, or buying fingernails or whatever, you know, that, that's really cool or, or buying some really awesome, awesome shoes. Amen. I've got more shoes than my wife now, I think. Come on. And, and, and just, I just was so excited about buying tools and buying tools and buying tools. And, and I remember I, I got into painting and I, bought a, I had a little spray rig. And, and I, had a, I met a guy. We were working on a church, helping a church fix it. And he was a contractor. It's when I was pastoring my first church. And he was asking me, he's like, so what all do you do? I said, well, I, I can build some. But I said, mostly I'm really focused on painting. I'm, I'm a painter. He said, oh, you're a painter. I said, yeah, I've got a spray rig. He said, I didn't ask you if you had a spray rig. He said, I asked you, do you are you a painter? And at the time, I didn't recognize that the reality is the tool does not make the man. The man makes the tool. But my point is this. I was so focused and excited about buying tools. After about 20 years of doing that, I recognized and realized those tools were an investment, but they also also symbolized work. So the world that we live in, for so many, they think that life is found in an abundance of things. But as you grow older, you recognize and realize life is not found in an abundance of things. You can't take them with you when you go. Amen? 
Matter of fact, you're going to have to leave it to your kids or you're going to spend it all now. My encouragement to you, parents, spend it all. Come on. <laughs> Tough for the kids. <laughs> but the world we live in so much has defined life in the abundance of things. But Jesus said he came to give you an abundant life. John 10.10. 10. The thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. The world that we live in, and I was in that world, people that say there's not pleasure in going out and partying or not being honest, there is pleasure in partying. The next day, it's not too pleasurable. And you can go, and for a moment, people are experiencing a euphoria, and maybe even within themselves would define that as a life and a good time because you laugh, you have fun, you do the things that pertain to that. And so for them, they are per pursuing and looking for that satisfaction of abundant life. But the truth is, it's a finite resource. That means on Saturday, it's not there. That means on, on Sunday morning after the party on Saturday night, it's not there. So the only way to get that life that they would define would be to go and to buy a bottle, to buy, buy a, a can or, or, or to something to smoke or whatever it is, their, their choice of thing that brings them joy or euphoria or whatever that feeling that they're pursuing. I'm going to tell you this, what they're pursuing is a mirage because you get it for a moment and it's gone. You get it for a moment and it's fleeting. And then finally, you realize after years of pursuing that, you realize the thing that you're pursuing isn't life, but what it's actually producing is death. Jesus said, I came to give you life and that life more abundantly. Now, there are those that have taken that even within the Christian world and have defined it in light of things and money and stuff. And I'm not here to tell you it's good to be poor because I've been poor and I didn't like it. I'm not up here telling you be poor. Now, if you want to be poor and you want to get rid of your money, you could see me after church and we'll talk. <laughs> see, I'm wearing a white suit and everything. Amen. <laughs> that was a joke if you didn't get that. So what is this abundant life that Jesus is talking about? I don't know about you, but I have been poor and still had joy. I can remember when my wife and I, we were first married and we went off to Bible college and we were living in a little bitty two-bedroom house that was about, I would say about 600 square feet. It was just this tiny little house that literally had two little, you know, like 10 by 10 rooms with a bathroom in between it and a little closet and then a little living room in the kitchen. It was called the Duck Huts. A man named Dwayne Duck owned it and so we called them the Duck Huts, but it was cheap. Amen. And that's what you look for when you were in college. And then we left there, and after we got out of college, and we, you know, we had arrived to become pastors, and you know, we're ready to go and to get the, the large church and make lots of money and get ready to go with life. And God sent us to a church with six people and another six or seven, eight hundred square feet uh, parsonage, a little bitty parsonage. And I had two kids at that time. But I will tell you this there was joy in that small house. There was joy driving an old Ford Taurus station wagon. My wife hated that station wagon. I think they should bring the station wagon back. Amen? Put all the kids in the back, drive around with them, get pulled over by the police. 
There was joy even though we didn't have, even though we, we, we struggled financially, even though there were times that literally we were struggling just to make our bills or to take care of anything and we had children. But I can tell you in the midst of that, there was absolutely an abundant life. Because when I look back at those times, I don't see the difficulties. I see the joy that we had. I see the provision of an almighty God. I see the hand of God making ways for me where nobody else could make it. I see miracles happening in my life. Why? Because he promised me an abundant life yet so many they're trying to define abundance in light of things and what they find is those things are finite boats break down amen boat bust out another thousand amen Fords break down Dodge breaks down Chevy keeps you going boys I just lost some people. They just left, Stephen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Got my back, brother. See, we ain't too fancy around here. I may have a bougie jacket on, but I ain't bougie. Come on. <laughs> An abundant life means that in light of, regardless of life circumstances, he's still walking in me. And I can walk through this life even though this world is falling apart and know that I am an overcomer in him today. You see, overcoming makes provision and brings a new name. Revelation 2.17 says, And he who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on a stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So Jesus in the book of Revelation said that he would provide hidden manna. And when you talk about manna, manna was God's miraculous provision to the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness. Now the Bible tells us that in John that Jesus is the word. So really what it's telling here is that God makes provision. It's a direct reference to the provision of God in his word and through his son. So let me tell you today, to walk in him means that you will receive some of that hidden manna. What does that mean? That means I have a relationship with Jesus. There's a world out there today that doesn't understand that. There are people, maybe even in your own life, your family and friends that don't understand that. And I've heard people say this, that Jesus is a crutch that weak people depend on. And I will say, that's not true. He's a wheelchair. He's not a crutch that I lean on. He's what I ride in. He is my provision. He is my source. And Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will give you of you the hidden manna to eat. And more than that, I will give you a new name. Now, we, we have celebrities today that they change their names. They, if the name doesn't necessarily uh, uh, denote something maybe that would be popular. I don't know how they all come about it. But in the Bible, there was a man by the name of Abram that took on the name of God. And he became Abraham. He took upon himself part of the name of God. And you see that over and over within the Bible where God changes the names of individuals. And I will tell you this, that when you come into relationship with him, he changes your name. You see, the world would say you are worthless, but he said you are worth it all. 
The world would call you unlovable, but God said he loves you with an everlasting love. I don't know about you, but do you know what everlasting means? That means it has no end and it has no beginning. It is an unlimited resource. He loves you with an everlasting love. The world would tell you and Satan himself would say that you are sinful and unworthy. But God said you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Come on, somebody should shout amen to that. He gives you a new name. And one of my favorite ones is the world would say you're fatherless, but God said you're his child. He calls you his own. He puts his nature, his DNA in you. So we not only overcome our overcomers, but here is how we overcome. We overcome through the blood of the lamb. So I read a story about a man, John and Brenda, they're flying to Australia, and, and, and in the midst of their, their 40th anniversary trip, they're on this jet, and the pilot comes over the, uh, the comm system and says, listen, folks, we're sorry to, to announce this, but we're having a very serious mechanical difficulty, and, and thank God, as we're flying over this ocean, there is a, a, an island that we see that we can land on, but I want you to hold on because it's going to be a rough landing, but there is the possibility we may not make it, and if we do make it, there is the possibility that we will be stuck on this island forever. Maybe these people should be called Gilligan. I don't know. So John and Brenda grab each other in, in fear and holding each other as the captain works feverishly to finally get the plane down and lands on a beach and, and thank the Lord, everyone was safe. But the fear was, now would we be stuck on this deserted island for the rest of our lives? Would we be the castaways? And, and, and what, how are we going to make it? What's going to go on? And John looks at Brenda and said, Brenda, did you pay the house note? She said, no, I didn't. Brenda, did you, did you pay the car note? No, I didn't. Why are you asking me this? Brenda, did you buy the extended warranty on the car? She said, no, I didn't. He said, thank God. They will certainly find us. Hmm. We have a debt that we could never pay. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis there was sin that happened in the garden. It was at the, the tree. And, and I will tell you, it wasn't when she ate the apple or the, uh, I know that portrayal, but that fruit of knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't the moment that she partook of that fruit. It was the moment that her heart decided to directly disobey God. For some, they look at the outward actions as the sin, but the sin is not the outward action the outward action is the result of the heart that is in disobedience to God. So at its essence, at its core, the very definition of sin is rebellion to God and rebellion to His Word. And so Adam and Eve in direct rebellion and direct opposition to the Word of God who said, the moment you partake of that tree, you shall surely die. They took it, they were deceived, and they partook of that fruit. And, and as a result of that, they continued to live. So God must have been lying when he told them, the moment you partake of this, you're going to die. Because the Bible tells us actually after they ate it, God confronted them and, and ultimately he placed them and took them out of the garden. How, how then, Lord, did they die? Let me tell you how they died. God's righteous eternal nature was taken out of them. 
his life. You need to hear this. God's plan has always been that you were a container, a vessel of himself. He created you to contain the presence of God. That's why the world is trying to fill themselves with things and never finding satisfaction. Because the moment you get the thing that you think will bring satisfaction, another thing shows up and you you start chasing another thing. And then another thing. And another thing, when in reality, it's chasing absolute fulfillment and purpose in life. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't come to die so that you could have a bigger, better pool or a bigger, better house. He didn't come so you could drive a Chevy or a Ford or a Dodge. He came to give you life and that life more abundantly, which was the life that God always intended. It was the nature. It was the character. It was the presence of God would live in you eternally forever and ever and ever. That's the truth. That's the gospel. But because of their disobedience in the garden and because of their direct rebellion to God and their turning away from the word of God, sin fell upon humanity. And so the result of that is that all of humanity at that point was separated from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it says, Your sins and your iniquities separate you from God. So when we are not in living relationship with God, and I I, want to tell you this, folks. If you don't hear anything else, you hear this today. Your church attendance does not save you. Your joining a particular denomination does not save you. Your being dumped in water or baptized in water does not save you. It's you coming and taking this heart of yours and surrendering to the throne of God and him taking that old life and putting his new life inside of you is what changes you. Jesus said you must be born again. See, no human could ever pay that sin debt. It was an impassable gulf. It was impossible and impassable for you and I to come into relationship with God on our own. It's not as if one day you just got up and you decided, hey, I think I'll start serving Jesus now. The Bible tells me no man comes to the Father unless he be drawn. So the spirit of the living God begins to draw you, begins to reveal to you your need for him. Hebrews 10, 4 says this, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. And so you see in the Old Testament this sacrificial system that was instituted. And the Bible tells us it literally didn't do away with sin, but it kind of pushed it back until it could finally be dealt with. And ultimately there was only one way for this debt. There was only one way for this sin to ever be dealt with. And it was Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God. 1 Peter 1.17, he says, If you call on the Father without partiality, judges, according to each one's work, conduct, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's incredible to think that God created every man, woman, and child. That his creation, he understood this. That even in his omniscience, when he created man, he knew man would choose rebellion to him. He understood that man would choose rebellion to him. In 1988, when I was in college in San Marcos, Texas, before I got saved, I was in a logic class, and a philosophy class, and we were studying logic. And I started kind of believing that there was no God because... This philosophy teacher took me through this process of if there is a God, then why does this happen? If there was a God, then why does this happen? And so I literally began to believe there was no God. 
So he used logic in my mind to make me come to this. Well, if God was really God, then why do children suffer? Let me tell you this. It was never God's will ever for death to enter into humanity. You need to know that. Why are we so quick to blame God for the bad things? There is a thief. There is an enemy that's out to destroy you. And the truth is there was a debt that you could not pay. You had no ability in yourself to, to cross that gulf. It was impassable. But Revelation 13, 8 says this, that Jesus stood as a lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. That means before creation was ever brought to bear, Jesus was ready to die. That's incomprehensible to humanity. It's hard to understand because if you think about creation, when you create something and it falls apart, the easiest thing to do is just tear it up, throw it away, and start over. It's kind of like community church. <laughs> Sometimes I've thought, maybe it'd been better just tear this thing down and, and try to remodel it and fix it back. But Jesus didn't do that. He tells us in Isaiah, a bruised reed he will not cast aside. You've been bruised. You were born into a world of sin. You were born under the bondage of darkness. And that darkness has lied to you. Hear the voice of the Spirit of God today. The voice of darkness has lied to you and deceived you and told you that life really is about living for yourself and living for the moment and trying to get the things and the pleasures of this life. And as you will see as you grow older, that really is a fruitless thing because it's just passing away. Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Why? Because God loved you. He loved you. It's incredible to me sometimes when I read in the Word and Almost a little incomprehensible because it says in Isaiah 53, 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Literally, the word bruise means to crush him. It pleased the Lord to crush him. Now, I have two sons and one daughter who was up here singing this morning. I'm so proud of that girl. You know, I just thank God that she's up here singing. And I can't even begin to think about how it pleased the Father for Jesus to be crushed. Why would it please him for his son to be bruised? Why would it be pleasing in that capacity? I will tell you why. But because he loves you infinitely. He knew that it was worth the sacrifice for your life. You need to hear this. The voice of the enemy has told you you're worthless. Hear the Holy Spirit today. The voice of the enemy has told you you are worthless and unredeemable. He's a liar. You know how much you're worth? You're worth the blood of a perfect lamb. You're worth the blood of the living son of God. That's how much you're worth. He died in your place. He took your sin. He took your pain. He took your punishment. And now today, because he died and resurrected, you don't have to live like that any longer. Amen. My prayer is today because I know that on Easter so many people will go to church that don't go to church in a typical manner. And yet they, they talk about Jesus, but Jesus isn't the reality of your life. Jesus isn't interested just in your Sunday morning folks. He wants your whole heart. He wants your life. He wants you fully surrendered to him. It's my prayer in my heart this morning that you would come into the fullness of a living, consistent relationship with the reality of who Jesus is. Two years ago, God sent us here to 
restore, rebuild, and refresh this is what the Lord spoke to me. Woke me up and told me I was coming to community church and this was his plan and his will. But I will tell you, it wasn't the building he was talking about. The building is part of the plan. We need a place to meet. We thank God for that. We praise God for the facilities. Thank God for air conditioners. Amen. But his plan and his will is to rebuild, restore, refresh his body. You are his body. You are his people. You are the purchase of his blood. You are the one that he died for. He gave it all for you. My prayer has been that that the power of the Holy Spirit would show up in this house and that people would be set free. They'd be set free from their fears, their anxieties, their worries, their past. Anybody got a past in the house? You know, I, I, I know at Easter, a lot of people come to visit. A lot of family activities. And, and when you're getting ready for those family activities, you typically clean your home and get your yard cleaned up and pull out the weeds maybe from the flower beds. Anybody gardening right now? You're pulling them out and getting everything ready. My wife told me this morning, she's like, our yard is the worst yard on the neighborhood. I was like, well, you know, I'm from West Texas. They just have to deal with it. I'm putting a washing machine out there next week. I got some of you live here in Tyler Estates. They'll be, they'll be on me. No, I will pull the weeds out of my deal. We did all that last year, spent a bunch of money, and they all died. And I was like, you know, whatever. Concrete it all. My prayer has been that you would come into living relationship with Jesus. It doesn't matter how good you look this morning. What does your heart look like? When we get down to the brass tacks and the reality of who Jesus is, is he really a reality in your life today? So we overcome through the blood of the Lamb. But he goes on to say, and by the word of our testimony. What exactly is meant by a testimony? The word testimony here is part of the word where we get the word for martyr. It can mean one that dies for, for like Jesus, their faith. But it also can mean a public witness. So we overcome through the blood of the Lamb. And then the progression of that is... And the word of our testimony in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, a man by the name of Peter stands up and begins to preach. The people that were there said, these people are drunk. They thought they were all drunk because they were speaking in other languages. They were speaking in tongues. And on that day, Peter begins to preach about Jesus, and he tells them to repent. And the result of that, 3,000 people were saved on that day, coming to relationship with God. But if you back up, Peter at the Passover meal with Jesus, when Jesus said, y'all, some of you are going to desert me, and Peter said, Lord, even if everybody else deserts you, I'm not. He said, Peter, listen, before that rooster crows three times tonight, you're going to deny me. And if you know the account, he goes and he follows as they take Jesus in. He's betrayed by Judas and takes him in to meet with the high priest. And Peter falls at a distance and there around a fire, a young lady confronts him and says, aren't you one of those Galileans? And he curses. And, and then he, in one version, one place in the Bible says in that moment, Jesus looked up when the rooster had crowed and, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. 
And then you progress 40 days ahead on the day of Pentecost and you see on the day of Pentecost this man who was afraid in that moment when confronted by a young woman and who denied Jesus three times. He stands up and he begins to proclaim about Jesus. I'm going to tell you this. He was previously a coward, previously afraid, previously fearful of, of, of maybe standing for the name of Jesus. But something happened. Something changed. I can tell you what changed. It was the day of Pentecost. It changed it all. When the power of the Holy Spirit hit, hit Peter, Jesus said, and you will be endued with power and you will become my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the difference was when the Holy Spirit fell, that man began to testify about Jesus being the Son of God. I've had people that, um, I, I knew one preacher that, that told me, he said, I never mix my business and my religion. Well, let me tell you, I cannot depart my business from my religion. I cannot depart from who I am in a relationship with Jesus from the rest of my life. Because out of who I am in Jesus, everything else flows. I don't compartmentalize my politics and my religion and my, and my business. I put them all together as one. I am a whole. And so everything about my life is about who he is. So every definition, every step, everything that I do, I pursue the will of God. I will tell you this. There comes a point in a time where God calls you to live a life of a true testimony beyond Sunday morning. It's easy to come in the house and talk about Jesus. It's easy to to sing about Jesus, but when you're on the job and you're confronted with situations and circumstances and people say, well, Pastor Thurman, I can't talk about that because I can get written up. No, let me tell you what your testimony is. Your testimony isn't just what you say. Your testimony is the life that you live. Testimony is bearing out what Jesus did. What the blood of the Lamb was applied to your life begins to be fruitful in a world of darkness in reality day by day through your hands, your feet, your mouth, every part of your life fully surrendered to God. So the Bible tells me that I've overcame to the blood of the Lamb, but today I'm also overcoming by the word of my testimony. Maybe it isn't only just living my life, my hands, my feet, my mouth. It's also me being willing to share with others about what Jesus has done for me. You know, I've, I've been around church long enough to know that I've seen a lot of jealousy, especially among ministries. I've seen jealousy where, you know, when one church is doing good, there's almost like a jealousy that overtakes that, 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 that in the ministry where people are like, well, if it's a big church, you know, it must not be very godly or very righteous. No, it doesn't matter. We need to celebrate together what God's doing here, what God's doing at our, at our brother down here at the Baptist church, the Nazarene, at the Methodist, wherever it is, we celebrate those. And let me tell you, there is a necessity to celebrate what God's done for you. I talked a little bit ago about, about winning a lottery to, or winning a, a large sum of money. I would dare say that most of us in this place, if something like that, we wouldn't have too much trouble telling our friends and family. I mean, I mean if, you, if you want a bunch of money, you don't tell your wife you got a problem. Come on. A big problem. <laughs> there are times that we have things in our life that are victorious and things that are good and what God's done for you. I, just a few weeks ago, my wife 
went into the hospital with the possibility of a mini stroke. And when we got through with the test, the doctor said, I can't see anything, but I think it was maybe a mini stroke. No, let me tell you, I'm going to celebrate the reality that I believe we prayed and God touched her and healed her completely in Jesus' name. You see what we just did? We overcame through a testimony. Has anybody in the house ever been set free from bondages? Come on. We saw powerful testimonies up, at this, up on this platform. Jesse and Jessica, that was so powerful. I thank God for that. Amen. We celebrate testimonies of people that have been washed by the blood of the Lamb and set free from fear and anxiety. Miracles happening in their physical body. Terry could get up here and talk to you about him having mycenia gravis and watching God. The doctor told him it's incurable. But he's not on that medicine and God absolutely healed him. Hallelujah. We're overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and the word of a testimony today. You can have that testimony. You can have that operating in your life. It's good when we begin to tell other people what Jesus has done for us. I remember years ago after I'd gotten saved, I was at home and, and a young guy that I went to school with. Uh, of course, we were both young at that time. And um, we were talking and, and I told him about that I had gotten saved. I had been born again and I was called to preach. And, and, and he looked at me and he told me, he said, Lloyd, I would like to say that I, I, stranger things have happened, but I can't really say that <laughs> because he knew the old Lloyd. I had a friend of mine that I went to school with that texted me yesterday and said, he said, I want you to know that I watch all the stuff that you post. He even told me a while back ago, you're my favorite preacher. This is one of my friends I went to school with. Let me tell you, folks, our life and our, ma our mouth matters. What we live out and what we say is absolutely impacting others. And so for us to participate in a testimony means that if God can do it for you, He can do it for me. Come on. When I, we took a, a, a position, we were 20 years old, young, just newly married, took a position at a children's home, and we connected with another young couple that was in that children's home, and and, and as a result of that, this, this other young couple had had an issue with the person who was running this home, but we had become friends with them. And so they began to share with us all the negative things about the person who was leading that, that children's home. And, and all of a sudden, we didn't like the person who was leading that, that the, play, the person we worked for. We didn't like our boss because our friends didn't like our boss and had problems with it. Y'all ever been there? You see, we can not only participate in an overcoming testimony, we can participate in a testimony that destroys us. You see, the enemy will use, you need to hear it. The enemy will use people to destroy what God wants to do in you and through you. You maybe have had family members, fathers, mothers, loved ones, spouses would tell you, you're worthless, you're, you're unredeemable, you're, your future is, is not going to be good. You're, you're, you're just in every word, adjective that you could describe and have been spoken over your life. And you're either going to agree with the testimony of what the enemy is speaking about your life, or you're going to agree with the testimony that Jesus will set you free and make you new and clean. You see... God wants you to overcome in your testimony and he wants others to overcome in your testimony. Worship team, come. 
Here in a moment, we're going to be doing baptism. We've got, I think, quite a few that are going to be baptized. And uh, what, what better day to do baptism than Easter? Amen? Amen. Celebrating new, a new life. It says, not only they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, it says, and they love not their lives unto death. See, I've always, I've always said that, he overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. But when you go to that scripture, it also says, and they love not their lives unto the death. So part of this overcoming means that we have to lay down our lives. In John 3, 7, Jesus said literally, you must be born again. I said it earlier that salvation is not baptism. Baptism is an outward expression of the salvation that already occurred in your heart. It is an outward public testimony of what Jesus has already done. It is, a, it is a matter of obedience to the Lord's command. You see, what it is, is the Bible tells us that when we are, by the Spirit of God, we're brought into, into the body of Christ. He saves us. He delivers us. And so baptism is literally symbolic of us dying and being resurrected to new life. Just as exactly as I said, you must be born again. You know, I think at times, you know, what, how would I live my life if I started all over again? I mean, if, if you could go back to, I don't know, 16. If you could go back to an age maybe in your life, how, how would you do things different? Probably you've, you've had this thought maybe that's hit you before, but just think if you could literally start completely over from scratch. Think about that. I mean, if you could just tomorrow, every failure's gone. If you could tomorrow that every, every misstep in your life is gone, and if, if you could tomorrow... You not only take the, the, those missteps, but the knowledges and the experiences of your life that you've had before that starting over point. That's exactly what the Bible says. I want you to hear this. God's will is that you are changed by His nature. In 1990, when I got saved... I went to an altar. I, I, I was bound by tobacco. I was, I was bound by alcohol. My dad was a hardcore, I mean, hardcore alcoholic. He, he would get up in the morning and he would just down like a fifth of whiskey, just be shaken because he's got the, the tremors from, from needing it. Just destroyed his life. And so I was heading down the same path. That I, when I was 130 pounds, I could drink a 30-pack of beer, no problem. Still be up looking for more. That boy, in 1990, went to an altar, a drunk, a sinner, partier. Everything in my life was contrary to the nature of God. And I went there, and I will tell you, Lloyd could not change Lloyd. I couldn't. I could have made a resolution to be better. I had done that. But the first time somebody says, hey, you want to go crack a bud? Let's go, man. Let's go drink a beer. Because that nature that was in me, that's what it desired. So God had to do something incredible in my life to set me free. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. So it's not just you coming up and making some confession before people. It's you being born of the nature of God. And so in 1990, there was an altar call given. And it, I didn't go up and pray a formal prayer with anybody. 
I went up and I wept so hard I couldn't talk. I just wept and just wept. Why? Because he set me free. In that moment, something happened. It wasn't something I could orchestrate. It wasn't something a preacher could orchestrate. It wasn't something that any music could bring into my life or a denomination or theology. It was an encounter with the living God. That's my prayer this morning. That you have an encounter with the living God. That you have a transformative moment that you have said over and over, I want to do better. I I want to stop this or that. The, The problem isn't the this or that. The problem is the heart. When I came to him, I was born again. And I will tell you what happened. I didn't want to go do those things anymore. Think about this. If you could have your life and your heart changed in the capacity that your desires become his desires. You know one thing as parents, the hardest thing about parenting, you know, some people, what's well, the terrible twos, it's the threes, it's the rebellious teenage years. No, 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 that's not the hardest thing about parenting. The hardest thing about parenting is letting go and letting your children make choices. That's the hardest thing. And not only let them make choices, but to let them fall when they make the choice. That's hard. But God loves us so much, He gives every person in this room the choice whether or not you surrender to Him fully or not. So in 1990, I went down this one way, and I knelt, and I wept and cried, and it was just an encounter with the living God. And I got up, and I was changed inside. That's all I can tell you. I was clean. The weight of the bricks of the sinful life that I'd lived was absolutely removed and all of a sudden I was light as a feather my life was transformed you know what it was I was born again I got a new nature I got a new DNA it was the DNA of the Heavenly Father now I'm not up here telling you I'm perfect absolutely not and I'm not up here telling you that I haven't been tempted in that point no matter of fact there have been many times in my life I've been tempted there's been many times in life I failed my wife could probably tell you of all but the nature of God is in me today the DNA of who he is is in me and every day I want to be like him so this this morning would you stand with me I'm going to give an altar call before we go into this baptism service you know my prayer is that somebody would be born again today my prayer is that someone in this house would come into a relationship with Jesus And then we're going to open up the baptism for those that maybe want to, that maybe didn't come prepared for that. That's okay. So I want you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. Bow your head. Holy Spirit, I've spoken your word, Lord. You know, the enemy, Lord, would try to keep keep people bound in darkness. But you said, he that the Son has set free is free indeed. That was your word, Father. When you were on that cross, Jesus, you cried out, it is finished. It was done. Nothing else needed to be done except surrender to that finished work of the cross. And so today, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for the liberty of your Holy Spirit in this house. That, Father, you're calling sons and daughters home. Every head bowed this morning. If you'd like to give your heart to Jesus this morning, if you'd like to make a fresh dedication of your life, 
I want to give you opportunity to do that right now. This morning, if, if that's you, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, would you raise your hand? Anybody in the house? Anybody in the house? Yes? I see a hand. Anybody else? Yes? Anybody else? Yes. I see those hands. More than that, Jesus sees those hands. I want everybody to repeat this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. I repent of my sins and I turn to you. Thank you, Father, for forgiveness, for loving me. I receive salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on. tells us in the book of Romans, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So today, for those of you that raised your hand, today is a day of new starts. Maybe you didn't raise your hand. That's okay. That's a personal relationship between you and God. But this morning, we're going to baptize some folks, and I want you to know this, that if you want to make a new start, we welcome you to come and to be baptized this morning. So I'm going to turn it over to Stephen this morning. Pastor Stephen's going to lead that. receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Okay. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to learn more about Community Church, you can visit our website at ccorange.org or come follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash community orange. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll see you next time.